I think we're trying to uh, rediscover ourselves because I think one of the things for me that when I look out there at the world, especially with identity politics, is that we have a society that in many ways is lost. And when people are lost in trying to find their voice or trying to find you know, their path, they cling to something that will make them feel special, something that they feel you know, makes them justified in actions or you know, makes them feel higher up or you know, above others. This is, this is what they cling to. And identity, at least my experience on the left, is been that what to cling, you know, what to cling to. So one of the things that, that really, um, well, it's all people have left, in my opinion. That's yeah, it, it, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> that's, it's all the people have left, which is unfortunate because, yeah. I mean, we've seen, and to me, that's just because, honestly, a crumbling of our our of our culture of our you know social institutions is a big part of that. The primary one to me being the family, the family unit having, you know, degraded so much over time, that strength, you know, a s- strong families uh, are what create strong communities and strong communities are what create a strong nation. So, so here we go here. Let me, let me hone right in on this right now, because yeah. I see the opening and I want to pose a question to you. And I love to ask okay. this to, especially conservatives that, you know, I'm, I'm also a strong proponent of the family. What do you identify? Where was the breaking point in, you know, the last 50 years or 60 years of American history? What do you identify as the major cause of the breaking up of the family? Would you agree with the perspective of someone like me on the left, which is, you know, the first step was our economic choices that we made, which, you know, forced two parents to work the, you know, that that was the biggest break, in my opinion, of the family. Once you had men and women who both needed to work when they had children, you by definition broke the family right there. And I don't mean broke it as far as like marriage is ending. But what I'm saying mm-hmm. is the atomization of us as individuals in society. That's what I mean. Kids off at daycare, kids at school, things are happening. Yeah. Da- dad's working 12 hours a day. Mom's working 10. You only see each other four hours a day. Your family dinners start becoming less and less common. Mm-hmm. Uh, more independence of people economically, even though they actually have less than they used to for how many hours mm-hmm. they worked, creates alienation. You know, I, what would you? What would your opinion be on my analysis, or just if you whatever? What is your analysis on that? No, I, I'd say that you definitely have a valid point there. Once we um, moved in, you know, to where we saw ourselves in a culture where both parents, both individuals had to work, then yeah, of course, that was going to negatively impact the family, the family structure, and the culture overall. Uh, I think, though, there's a lot of contributing components. I've thought about this a lot. And I still, you know, it's one of those issues that I have yet to say, aha, it's that, that specific thing is the cause of all this, right? When I look at it, I see a, a a lot of contributing factors. Um, some of them, obviously economic, um, you know, is, as well, you know, we, we weren't, we stopped being the producers that we once were, you know, we lost a great deal of not just, not just so much, you know, the wealth from that, but I'd say even the spirit of it, because when you're creating something that's empowering to create something, artists know this you know anyone workers know this that when you create something that is powerful and you feel powerful inner and i'm i'm not talking about like power or you know overall i'm talking about an inner power and strength a confidence so when you are a creator that 
is powerful. And when a nation stops being a creator, being a producer, you know, when it moves away from that being its primary focus, a large focus of it, then it makes sense that that sense of empowerment, that pride in creating something, that would fade and that would spread throughout the culture and impact so many different areas of life. Obviously, folks of them being the family. I also think uh, in regards to the family, we look at, uh, especially from the conservative perspective, you're going back to the sexual revolution um different um you know different points in feminism uh we're looking at the views on uh, on divorce uh and you know just like there's a lot of different components that i think contributed to the fall of the family and the weakening of our culture and our country as a whole but you, you know your assessment there i think is on point as far as being a large contributing factor, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I had two parents, you know, I was raised by two amazing parents that took me in and, you know, they raised me from when I was about a year and 10 months old. I am blessed to have been raised by them. They both did work. Um, you know, my mother, she later was out of work because of health issues. Um, my mother was a diabetic. Uh, and she got to a point with her health that she couldn't work anymore. Uh, so at that time, it, it was diff it was difficult. But so I did from that point on, I got the benefit of having a mother that was home with me. And I will say, you know, I can acknowledge the difference in that, right? The difference between when I was younger, remembering, okay, I was maybe getting sent to a babysitter if I wasn't in school or, you know, what, you know, this, and then when I was older and my mother wasn't working anymore, there certainly was a difference in um, my connection to the family when my mother was home and she was able to focus more on me in that way. And I, I think in a way, one of the other things, and I want to touch on this point. So we are now in a culture where wanting a family is looked down on. I feel that this comes more so, and you may feel I'm wrong, and you know other people may feel I'm wrong on this, but I honestly see this more from the left um, than from the right. I think the right the conservative, you know, conservatives are still very family focused. Um, I don't think that they always focus the right way, but I think they are in general more family focused. They have more children. Conservatives produce more children, especially religious conservatives. Um, but from from the left, well, can you can you define the left though? Because do you mean like well, the Democratic okay. Party at large left, or leftists? Okay, so let me let me let me um let me okay. So uh so leftism. Let me put this way. Uh the further the leftism, the identity, the identity left. Um, through the lens of feminism, the sexual revolution, and, you know, even the LGBT community. There became this idea that to villainize the family unit, because that was the enemy to all that, right? The family unit kept women oppressed. The family unit said the LGBT people couldn't have that, you know, that they, they couldn't be a family. Um, the sexual revolution, well, just do what you feel. The family unit, that structure, no, that, you know, that, that, that's, that's not really compatible. So I feel like those elements on the left uh, really are contributing factors to what we saw in regards to, you know, basically the fall. Uh, I think, I think in many ways, the family unit in America has fallen. And 
one of the things on that left, so that's that's basically, uh, is that a good enough clarification for what I mean when I'm talking about the elements on the left where yeah, I'm about yeah, to go? With yeah, this? Okay. Sure. I mean, I got so, a couple points, but I'll let, I'll let you finish. Yeah. So those were the circles that when I was more left-leaning that I traveled in, all right? Uh, one of my good friends, when I told her, you know, I want to get married, I want to settle down, you know, my my husband, he makes more money than me, you know, and I'm fine with that. I had actually, I can think of two, two instances, uh, one with a relative and one with uh, one of my good friends. Uh, my good friend, she was like, oh, take this opportunity. I had an opportunity at my job, right, uh, to, to climb up and stuff. And I was like, but I don't want to. And she was like, why? Fo- no, focus on your career. Focus on your career. I'm like, no. I was like, I'm, she's like, well, you're so supportive of your husband and his career. You know, you're supportive of what he wants to do. At the time, my fiance, you're so supportive of that. And I'm like, yes, I'm supportive of that because I, I, my husband wants to be the primary breadwinner. I want to be able to focus on family more so. But my friends on the left were so much about, no, you need to want to be a success. You need to want to climb this ladder. You need to want to do this. And she really couldn't see that. And I also had a similar interaction with a cousin of mine. Uh, And I had to tell her at one point, I was like, look, when I'm older and I look, I'm on my deathbed and I look back at my life, what do I think I'll regret more? Not having a career, this, you know, successful career where I made all this money or not having a family, or at least being able to give everything I wanted to, to raising a family. Uh, I know what I would regret more not having, and that would be not having that family, not having that connection to that family. And the fact is, I know we live in this, we live in this culture that tried to drill it into us that we can have it all, but you can't have everything. something's got to give. It's absolutely ridiculous to think that you can have it all, that you both can have this driven career where you're working hard, climbing the ladder and have the perfect family, the family that's going to be connected. Not, no, that's, that's not a reality. That's not realistic. Well, I mean, you can do it, but it's going to come at a cost in other areas. That's the reality. However, however that bears its face, but, um, but no, what, well, so what, what I would say, though, to that is I think that, like, you know, obviously you have your experience and, um, you know, you, you had your couple friends that happened to be on the left that said that. But I would take a larger sample, uh, you know, example of, you know, what the coronavirus pandemic that just happened. You know, it was largely people on the left who were saying, like, you know, no, protect your family. You know, who cares? Quit your job. Whatever this bullshit is that's happening. Be with your family. It was largely right wingers who were like, no society needs to strive on we need to keep and it's still happening and it's largely people and i don't just mean on the left politically but people who have more um you know more right-wing sentiments towards the balance between people making choices like what you're talking about or you know for example like i got laid off in may 2020 for my job because not because just because of the coronavirus pandemic but um my job was already planning on doing it we got purchased uh, by a south korean investment firm um, but so that was, I had my third child was very small, uh, uh, had just been born around that time. And that was the first of my two, three, uh, three children that I'd actually got to stay home and be a full-time father for a length of time. And, you know, I appreciated that experience and it's very much akin to what you were saying with your mom, you know, even though it was a much shorter time frame. Um, 
But I think that, you know, attributing like, you know, those types of direct values just to left or right. I think we can get on a bit of a slippery slope, though, because I want to clarify there that I do not say that, you know, there are no family values, family focused individuals on the left. I, I am not saying that by any means. I'm saying when you compare a message to historically speaking, even look at that, when you look at the right and the left, who's more focused on the family unit? I have all, I, I feel like it's more from a conservative perspective in regards to seeing the family unit as the core to society itself and that the family unit should always be strong. I feel like when we look at a lot of, you know, when we look at how we've handled the welfare system, everything like that, that's contributed to single mother homes, you know, single parent homes, um, which we see how detrimental that's been in regards to children from graduation right, but, 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 but welfare, rates. Well, welfare is a symptom of what the first step is, which is economic duress. You can't oh, attribute no, welfare I to the the causes but, of the the bifurcation of a, of a family though you know what i mean it's the welfare is the reaction to a failed system it's not the cause everyone a lot of people on the right talk about welfare as if it's the root cause sure it's a it's a symptom that continues to bear its own disease and issue because of you know people relying on it or choosing that instead of things that would fulfill them spiritually you know finding something you like to do uh you know mm -hmm. ideally to to make a living rather than, you know, just doing that and feeling the feeling the societal negative pressure of yeah, being a welfare queen and all that. this other stuff. But 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 what um the, the the point I I wanted to stick in real quick though is um you know, I I think the big reason like when you were referring to like, you know, friends you had on the left who saw like the, you know, the the uh, look down on families and everything. Again, I think that's a reactionary stance from the left because of the decades of, you know, right-wing dominance uh you know through the 80s through the early aughts of that family unit being weaponized as the reason for why so many draconian things like the war on drugs uh negative sentiments and policies towards LDB lgbtq communities and stuff that all stemmed from politicians that held the family up as their their aegis as their shield in front of them as they uh, inflicted negative policy upon those communities. I think that that's a that's largely reactionary. I don't think that's like an organic thing no. that's just happening now. This is decades in the making of people wielding the family as a weapon, as the the righteous cause for why we must throw millions of people who were like using weed in prison and shit like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like oh, there's a, there's a, there's a there's a lot of uh, generational angst towards that, and it's not just towards the yeah. family unit. It's that combined with the fact that, you know, people, I, I don't know how you feel on it, but, uh, are on it, but uh, like, you know, climate change, for instance, there's a lot of people making like logical decisions. Like, why would I start a family? The fucking world is like in shambles. <laughs> okay, you know okay. what I mean? So, Which I don't uh, agree. I, I don't, I don't agree with that sentiment. I think you should live now and yeah. enjoy your life and do the things you want to do. Not based off like world issues that you've no we control over. That survived an ice age for crying out loud. I'm sorry. Sure. I, I don't. That's, that's, that's sure. a BS. The climate change argument is absolutely ridiculous. No, no, no. But, a very I, I, adaptive species. But, but the thing is, is it's just like what you said it's just like what we said with the milo thing it's not about what we think is bs if, if those people feel that way we know, shouldn't know, we should we shouldn't want them to have a kid what yeah no because I agree. If, and if, the, if if some event that's that far out of their control is influencing how they think they're going to feel about raising another human they probably shouldn't have a kid so here's, you know here's also the problem <laughs> though, and i also but here's the thing i feel that those individuals should not be having the influence over our children that they are having and i feel like that is pushing through education 
um, through the through you know, especially like the education system, because this is the fact at the end of the day is that conservatives do produce more children than than liberals than you know those on the left. We gotta and see some numbers. I gotta see some numbers on that, man. You can't throw are, that out there like that. I don't have it. I, <laughs> I can't, I can't pull it up. I'm using my phone to talk to you, so I can't pull it up. No, but I don't want to. Anyone, anyone Yo, Jay, Jamie, there, Jamie, pull that shit up. Statistics. Look up statistics on who has more kids: <laughs> conservatives or liberals. Look up those stats. Look up those stats. Well, I there's, have. There's more liberals in the country, so I feel like you'd just be wrong on that on flat, no, like no, no, on its no. face. This is what I'm saying is why the education system was liberalized is because those that there's the saying that uh what was the poem there? The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Those that control the youth control the future. Now you do not need those youth to be of your blood to have come from you. You just need to get control over them which a very liberalized, very left-leaning education system has proven quite successful at doing that. That's why you will see conservative families with children that go into school, go off to college, and are suddenly much more left-leaning. Right, but um, I, don't, I don't think it's like some purposeful conspiracy. I think it's just the fact that in any educational institution in any country in any period of time is always, <laughs> hold on, hold on, what's that? Is, is always okay. going to represent the most left ideas because that's progress. That's what's coming. There, tell me how what 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 left other than like you know communism, which is where I would cut that off, that economic principle. But for the most part, leftist progressive ideas and culture are always overrepresented in the educational system. A because women are more likely to be liberal, and women hold educational jobs disproportionately com compared to men. And second mm -hmm. off, the again those people make up those institutions because they're the people who are usually progressive in the first place. Like edu the education system, the educational systems are the breeding ground of where progressivism stems from at any point in history in any country. Oh, no. So it only makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a natural sort of, I mean, you could, you could go back to, oh, no, you know, I, there, conservative philosophers been, uh, were raging against Plato, uh, you know, in Greece for the same reasons, you know, <laughs> or, or Romans or Romans, uh, about a uh, piss that, you know, so, uh, so uh, Julius Caesar and his set were, so were doing <laughs> okay, I forget I forget where the uh, where the reference comes from. So to me, and I actually have kind of come to look at it because a lot of people think that conservatives don't want to move forward at all. Like I, I mind you, I can I can only speak for myself as a conservative, and a lot of conservatives I know absolutely want to move forward. Absolutely want a healthier, strong society. You know, a stronger society. Absolutely, and it's not about you know being rigid and unmovable. And I feel like that's some that's a claim that the left throws a lot at those on the right and conservatives it i oh god i had uh what there's a what's the story is that a liberal and a conservative are walking through a field and coming to a fence that's blocking their way the liberal will want to just tear down the fence because it's in their way just because they want to get through the conservative will stop and say well why is that fence there should we tear it down it does it serve a purpose so the conservative is less reactionary and we'll think about this. And I'm not saying, okay, I, I want to be for, uh, you know, I'm using, I know I'm using this in a more general sense, but I also, like I said, I want to clarify that that doesn't mean, that does not mean that there aren't reactionary conservatives. There most assuredly are. It doesn't mean that there aren't liberals or, you know, people, uh, you know, leftists. And that's another distinction, as I actually distinguish between leftists and liberals. Um, that uh, don't take time to think about this. I think especially classical liberals, they absolutely do. But I do feel um, like we, 
we need to find a balance. And I feel like I, uh, for me, since especially um, coming out from more of a conservative perspective uh, in relationship in comparison to when I was more left-leaning, I feel like I'm better equipped at approaching the issues in my life than when I was in that mindset. And I know that's personal, that's anecdotal, of course. Uh, but I remember being in those circles and this is why I have that detesting of um, you know identity politics, but I actually just reminded myself not to take us completely in a different direction. But I was just reminded of something you had said earlier that I wanted to kind of jump off from. You talked about work, finding um, work that you like, right? Joy in that, or so, just meaning, not even just that. Just, you, just meaning. meaning. So meaning, okay. Joy and meaning. All right. This is an interesting. This is an interesting topic with this with jobs, right? Because I, I feel like this is a very millennial thing. I'm a millennial, um, you know, and I feel like when you talk to most millennials, um, at least this has been my experience. Once again, anecdotal, but I have also read a few studies on it. Is that millennials? We do not have jobs for as long. We don't stay at jobs as long as the generations before us. I think it's usually what three to five years. I believe. Yeah, I, think, and, I think it's. Uh, I think it's less than that, actually. Yeah. So you know, and I'm a product <laughs> of that myself, and I'm a product of that of of that myself, right? And and I realize what it is is like we somehow got under this impression that our jobs need to give us joy and fulfillment and purpose and all that. I think we're wrong with that. It is actually incredibly rare that a person is going to end up in a job that does all that for them. That is incredibly rare. If it happens for you, that is amazing, right? I'm a warehouse worker. And to be honest, I'm completely fine with that. That's what I did I'm for not looking... six years. What? <laughs> I was a warehouse worker at SI group for six years. So, so, but here's the thing. I'm not, I mean, my back isn't a fond of that, but, but as far as like spiritually and, um, you know, just overall emotionally, I'm fine with that. And the reason I'm fine with that is because I'm not looking to my job for purpose, for fulfillment, for joy. Where I'm looking for that is in my family, my marriage, my relate, my friendships, my hobbies, my interests. That's where my fulfillment and joy should be coming from. That's where everyone should, that's where I think people need to look more. Work is not, meant to be that nowhere no time think in history where has the majority of any culture have the people had jobs that they're like this is my fulfillment i'm zen right now this is my no because why because there's, there's jobs that people don't enjoy and someone's got to do them that's right, the reality right. but, but right? here's the here's the thing here's what i would rebut with i mean first of all when i say like people having dignity in an economic system or having jobs that they feel fulfilled in i don't necessarily mean doing something that like, oh, this is my passion. It, a lot of it comes from, do they feel A, respected at work? B, do they feel, oh, no, I, do, they, do they feel like they're being compensated uh, and, and as part of that respect? Are they being paid enough to survive? Um, are they doing work that doesn't make them feel like they're contributing to something they find morally abhorrent? You know, there's a, there's a whole list of things. But at the end of the day, you know, I agree with you, like, uh, somewhat, you know, I, I've said, I'll echoed a lot of the things that you've said, uh, across the last decade of my life. I mean, you know, I'm 31. I have, but the thing is, Kevin, I think people like me and you are exceptional. I can do any job. I, it doesn't matter. I can do anything as long as I'm being paid enough. And it's enough for me mm -hmm. to support my family and come home and, you know, 
buy my son a toy he likes every now and then and like go on one vacation a year you know like nothing crazy i'm not asking for a fucking castle here as long as i can do that <laughs> as long as i can do that i'm a happy man you know I, my stepfather yeah. uh he raised me since i was two i watched him you know do a lot of the same kind of work i do he coached me uh in football he loved football he found his passions outside of work as well and i i it was a great opportunity to grow up and have a man raise me that you know instilled some of those values in me and good work ethic but the thing is at the end of the day not everyone's like me and you and uh, here's the thing when people talk about this issue i think what people are talking about is what we talk about for the most part uh on the left and the right a lot of people are discussing this in terms of what would be their ideal society not necessarily just oh, this is the way that it has to work. A lot of, That's what most people engage in. When people talk about these types of things, large systematic yeah. changes, because at the end of the day, me and you having this conversation or people in their local school board meeting or uh, city council meeting or all that, none of that's going to change what we're talking about right now, which is global economic systems setting the, uh, the, the cheese in a certain place on a maze for us all to follow. There is no, you're right. It's very rare for people to find a, a large amount of people, a large percentage of a country to find work that they're fulfilled in. And why is that? Because it's not a priority that we set. We're ruled and the systems are created by what money dictates. It's not what, it's not by what people dictate. I, I wanna, and and I, hold, I, hold, hold on, let me, okay. let me finish my point. Let me finish my point. And the difference in that is if you look at, say, comparable countries uh, in Europe that have, you know, very similar, somewhat close GDP stars that are comparable you, you will find, I'm just saying, this is just self-reported polling, okay? You will find yeah. that many more people in those countries are happier with what they do for work. And I guarantee you it's not because they have, they're in their perfect vocation or because they went to the right school that got them the right degree. No, what it is is they have better um, extenuating benefits that come along with any job that they do in those countries that make them feel more whole as a person. More vacation time, better compensation, uh, less working, less hours. Like there's, there's a, a, a huge variance of things that can be changed in an economic system that can bring a lot of that happiness and dignity that we're talking about without actually like rearranging the whole deck and like, oh, well, everyone who wants to like be an artist, like, you know, like communist Russia or whatever, or the Soviet Union, like we'll pay you to just be an artist or like 1930s uh, America where they had like, uh, you know, FDR late thirties was like, Hey, the government will pay people to be like a traveling troupe of entertainers. You know, we're never going to see shit like that again. We're at, we're literally at such a late phase in capitalism. That's a completely unattainable dream. But what we can do is give people dignity through again, like not working insane hours for shitty pay. Like there's a lot of really small things we can do that are very possible that I feel like get glazed over. That's all. That's all. So uh, No. Okay. So I want to make a, I want to um, distinguish here between, between different points. Cause I don't feel like necessarily what you were saying was in contradiction to what I was saying. I know you said it was. No, a, no, rebuttal, absolutely but, not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just sort so, of adding on like, you know. dignity, right? You're talking about dignity, right? I think um, as far as, you know, treating employees in a dignified and respect, you know, respectful fashion, I think, yes, I think that should be done. But to be honest, I think that should be done whether your employees are absolutely in love with their job or whether they're just, as long as they do it well, then, you know, then that's what matters, whether or not they're in love with it or not. So I, I want to make a, a uh, I want to distinguish there between what I was saying and, and that, um, I'm saying that purpose, it, Purpose shouldn't, your primary focus shouldn't be to find purpose and fulfillment in work because, not because of how an employer might treat you or because employers can't give you that. At the end of the day, no, I don't feel 
like any employer can give you dig can really give you dignity, can really give you purpose, can really give you um meaning in in your no, life. No, but they can you take it that. away. They can take it away. No, they can they can do that. <laughs> yes, Don't they can. Wrong. But they can't. <laughs> but you're kind of you're kind of implying that this is something that employers can give, and I really don't think because here's the thing, right? The most insecure person, no matter how much you try to tell them that they're great and all this stuff it doesn't mean anything if they don't find a way to believe it themselves if they don't come at if that strength isn't in them that you know to to rise above and to see themselves as having value as having purpose it doesn't matter how you try to talk them up so i'm not i'm not, I'm not talking about the ceo like doing uh picking up pom-poms and saying hey kevin you're great i'm talking about your paycheck having three four hundred okay, more dollars way, in it I, that's what i, I mean love to, I, I, that's I what love, i mean I, I, <laughs> I might give up a few dollars in my paycheck to see my manager with pom poms. All right, do that. I'm just, I'm just saying. I might actually give a few dollars up there. But I, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, like Kevin having, you know, Kevin and his husband having a child, and like, you know, being not being worried about, like, oh my god, like uh, it's three thousand dollars for me to take him to the dentist, and I can't afford so, that. That's what I mean because that's yeah. part of that's part of the dignity. That's what I'm talking about. And and I'm not saying directly your employer. Again, I'm speaking about the system at large as a whole. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's the difference in that, again, that self-reported polling in comparable countries and why there's such a huge gap between Americans that have an insane level of productivity and do not have the same amount of happiness, even though we consume more, even though all, all these other metrics that you would think bring people happiness, like all these people, you know, BMWs, uh, you know, we got Netflix is like $10 a month, all these things that we laud and raise up almost cynically in our society. But people live much simpler lives in other places in the world with less problems and actually a lot less money. But they and have simpler more lives usually are more family focused. Very well. true. But but again, but, we are we already discussed where the you know, where the, the time goes in our system to not have the yeah. family. You know, but, <laughs> I mean, but I know and I know and you're also focusing on it because I know you focus on wages and stuff like that. And I know often, especially um, the the more socialist leaning uh you know, point to countries. One of the interesting, I have discussions all the times is we end up talking about the Nordic countries. And it's funny because I have a good friend who's from, who's from Sweden and he is conservative. And one of the things he finds the most aggravating is Americans, when they refer to the Nordic countries and their arguments in politics, both the right and the left, he's like, you guys don't really understand what we have. Uh, we're not a socialist country. No, absolutely not. We actually, we were suffering until we uh, lifted um, restrictions, until we became a little bit more free and more lenient with our with our companies. And he goes, actually, you know, we don't have a minimum wage either. We just have strong unions. Yeah, exactly. Union and membership is through the fucking roof and all, all so those kinds of things. Where, where we go with, with minimum wage is... Um, so I get into that that discussion a lot, especially when people push minimum wage and, you know, the same people that are pushing minimum wage and a lot of socialist ideals are also then referencing like Sweden and, and you know, especially like the Nordic countries, like I said, they're a big focus. I'm like, but that doesn't exist there. What you're pushing doesn't necessarily exist there. Sure. And we're we're talking about culture. reverse engineering it because. Yeah. What and, to, no, and to, that's to, difficult, right? We, that's, that's why. <laughs> yeah. I think you and I can agree on one thing is that. um there in order to move forward there is a lot of breaking down of the dam uh you know dealing with the damage and breaking down what has already occurred occurred in our culture we may think that what needs to be broken down we may um 
focused on different things. But mm. I think we both are coming out of perspective of there's key things that we need to change in the culture before we can move forward in a beneficial way. I think that's something that, uh, you know, despite our political leanings that we could both agree on, that we have that perspective of things in our culture. And it's it's interesting because unions get talked about a lot. And that's another example. My friend in Sweden, he looks at the unions that he has and he looks at the American unions and he's like, your unions are not like our unions. Yeah. He goes, your unions are pretty much, they become the corporations they set out to stand against. He's like, your union, yeah. He goes, your unions are so corrupt and so twisted and just a, basically they are a twisted funhouse mirror reflection of what they were supposed to be. So I would ask your, I would ask you and your friend though, is that because, is that some unique American thing that we poisoned the chalice of the grand union and all these other countries seem to be doing fine with it? Or is it something else in our system that, maligned and twisted our unions because it got so politicized money and politics all of this shit that they don't have over there is that what did it because that's my argument like unions used to be the bulwark of american dignity at work and people having a say and feeling represented and feeling like they're actually a part of something where they spend the majority of their day other than when they're sleeping you know, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Why Why would it, why is that? How do we prescribe, you know, how do we diagnose this? I would argue it was a malignment of the way that our economic system played out. You know, money and politics. Unions had to start playing, had to start playing the game essentially to continue to have relevance with all of the, you know, the Taft-Hartley Act. Uh, a ton of shit that got passed in the, in the 60s through the 80s where unions were being strangled. And then what happened? The union aligned with the mob. The union aligned with corrupt Democratic Party. Uh, 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 affiliates, you know, that's, that's basically what happened, you know, Hoffa, it's pretty simple. Like it's not a hard track to see. Um, and then, and then, you know, what happens from that super easy, you know, uh, talking points of, oh, unions are corrupt, blah, 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 because there's a more than a kernel of truth there. You know, there's a ton of truth there, but at the, but at the end of the day, the problem is that talking point, which is really used, uh, to talk about national unions, you know, for example, my union was an independent union uh, inside of a family-owned company, and it was great. And then we joined the Teamsters, and it all went down the fucking hole. It all went down the fucking hole. I was a shop steward in my union, and anyone, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a union or if you know much about them, but typically— my, Yeah, my husband, has, my husband is unionized, and my mother-in-law was actually a union head. So, so she's a Republican. Yeah. So so I was a shop steward in my union. Um, and okay. typically, you know, like I said, anyone who knows unions knows whenever there's layoffs, it's always in the contract that you can't take union leadership out. It's stewards, the president. We joined the Teamsters. What did they do? When they renegotiated our contract, us stewards didn't have any say in it. And what did they do? They changed that line. Uh so when I was laid off, now mind you, for weeks I was laying people off. We laid off about a third of our workforce almost. I was laying people off for weeks in meetings, helping them, you know, fucking telling them about Cobra, all this bullshit, fucking stupid shit. Um, and then one week at the end of me laying off three people, they said, oh, wait, Ramon, hold on and laid me off. Complete shock. And why is that? Because a big giant union came in and said, oh, we don't really give a fuck about any of these people that are here. So we're going to give this concession to this company for whatever they got. And I was laid off. So. I agree with you with the, you know, the the corrupting influence of what unions have become in America, a lot of the large ones. But again, 
even with my angst over that situation, I, again, you know, I try to be a logic minded person over this and it's like, well, what happened there? Just like how we're assessing what happened with the family union, you know, or the family unit, what happened there? Think about this. Uh, We lost, we lost, um, cultural cohesion and homogeny in regards in, in, in a, in a lot of ways. When you look at this and even, you know, my friend, I, by the way, I, my friend Victor from Sweden, I would love to bring him on a stream with you and I, because he, like I said, he's conservative, but he and I disagree on a lot. And like I said, he gets annoyed with both the right and the left for how they look at the Nordic countries. And he's like, no, this one, he's like, no, what we do here wouldn't apply in America. First of all, because of population, because of culture, because of this, he's like, this, this, this probably wouldn't work in America. It doesn't mean that there's no form of it, but he's like, this probably wouldn't work. Also, then he's like, you guys have, you don't understand how this works. Like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how he described, for example, the healthcare system. There, you know, is that he's like, you Americans are always like, oh, we have that, you know, universal that we're, you know, this is what we're doing. And he goes, actually, in Europe, we have, oh, how many was it? I think there's what, uh, 41 different healthcare systems, actually. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I've never really, le- leftists don't usually refer to any of the Scandinavian countries for healthcare. It's usually the model yeah. is actually Britain, like the national healthcare system, because they yeah. actually own the infrastructure. You know, like France and a lot yeah. of the Scandinavian countries, it's only single payer. Most people on the left, um, and especially to the left of me, like the English model where like the hospitals are literally owned by the fucking government. Like yeah, which the, is, the whole way through, the whole way through. No, the NHS is, it's got the highest, it's got, it's got some of the best outcomes in the world for, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with the statistics on how well the NHS operates. You get yeah, people that, you, com- where, you get you you people who like complain about science. it in country, but at the end of the day, the, the numbers don't lie. <laughs> the numbers don't yeah. lie. And we're, and we're ranked, like our healthcare outcomes are, we are in like the low thirties of like, oh, yeah, we I mean, are. like it's we, terrible, horrifying. We absolutely are. We, and that's the one thing I will agree on. We have... We definitely have a horrible healthcare system at the same, but I think we're also, here's the thing with me with government. So the thing is with government is for why you need to be careful when you're applying it is when, whenever there's only one hand at play in something, whenever there's only really one perspective pushing something, you run the risk of missing out on opportunities to grow in a positive way. This is why, for example, I like um, different uh, education models being applied throughout the country. I don't like the idea of the government applying one, you know, basically cut and paste education here in that because if you allow different education models to exist in different parts of the country, different school districts, there someone might come up with an idea or an approach that proves successful and and then others can emulate that or take from it what will work for them but if you only have one perspective one approach you're more likely i think to um get caught up in a problem and not necessarily um be open to different ways to resolve it uh, this is why I like competitiveness. I, uh, you know, I like that. Um, however, that doesn't mean that I don't think that there doesn't mean to be a structure. And that's another thing is a lot of people are uh, confused. Uh, for those of us who disdain big government, and I mean, I truly disdain big government. Uh, to me, government is a necessary evil. 
I acknowledge that it's you know it's needed to as a as a cohesive agent. That's that's I mean, what it's government the it's the is. building block of civilization. Let's yes, keep it real. But, I mean, but I also it's acknowledge more than, it's more than a necessary evil. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's to me, it, it, well, that at the end of the day is it's not just so much it's necessary evil, but also when you look at governments, regardless of their approach, it, to me, government with power, power does corrupt, obviously. You know, that is that is truth right there. We look at our politicians, regardless of if they're Republican or Democrat, right? They or whatever they may be, they they get elected on this and then they change and they no longer follow that. So for me, when I vote for a candidate, right? When I vote for a candidate, I actually vote for that candidate knowing full well that come the next election, I might want to I might end up voting against them. I might try to vote them out. I'm fully aware of that because I realize that even the most genuine individual, even the person that has like the stars in their eyes, they're like hope for the future. When they enter politics, it, everything can change and they can become corrupted by that. So with that in mind, when I think about government in that way, government should be more applied like a scalpel you know, very finely, very, very strategically used and applied, not just a hammer or painted like a broad with a broad brush. I uh, applied with a broad brush. I'm I'm against that. I think we need to be more strategic in how we use government. And I think we need to step back. And when we're thinking about uh, applying government to something, you know, increasing that reach, we think, could government make this worse? And many times it does. Because let me let me say one of my one of my moments that I stepped away from the left. Um, I also feel like uh, you and I have experienced different um, components of the left <laughs> as well. I think that's also uh, you know we're you know our anecdotes, our experiences are obviously what shape our perspectives, right? Uh, especially a personal. Um, my experiences with most of the people on the left, even still to this day, they do reference the Nordic countries. They are extremely identity politics focused. That is, that is my regular, I've lost friends. I've had friends cut me completely out of their life, um, over that. And they've all been left leaning. Um, you well, know, I just, so that I, if you, it, it, the issue you take with people referring to the Nordic countries on specific topics, and I mean, I know you have your friend from Sweden, but that, you know, again, that's one guy. If, if we see other countries doing things better than us, why shouldn't well, we try to but, emulate it? Like okay, rather, okay. rather, but, but hold on, hold on. rather than into consideration. No, no, no. But what I'm saying it. is, but well, what I'm saying is like, people want to attack it with this idea of oh, well, all, look at all these differences of this country and that, you know, look at, look at the, look at the late 20th or the early 20th century, you know, um, you know, 1900 and on, mm -hmm. what did countries do, you know, and, and obviously this happened prior in history as well, but the competitiveness amongst countries, a lot of it involved adopting what other countries did best. You know, go, go look all throughout history, militarily, economically, education wise, we're using Arabic numbers in our country. Why is that? Look at the calendar we use. Look at all these different ideas. That's those oh, all spawn no. from those. But I'm saying that all spawn from borrowing concepts of people's okay. educational fields. Okay. All, all I'm saying say is at all but, that we shouldn't borrow. 
What's that? I did. I did. You hear me say at all that we shouldn't borrow? I didn't. No, no, no. I did no, no, no. I know say you're not saying that, but I'm saying yeah. you're 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 speaking in some generalities, just referring to the Nordic countries, but as if it has some bad taste in your mouth. And I don't know if you're doing it explicitly because of your friend in Sweden, or if you have any like specific areas that you think some of like their economic policy would cause issue in America rather than ameliorate anything because. Right now, like, I, I don't know how anyone could argue there's anything good going about this economic system unless you're in, like, the top 15, 20 percent. I don't I don't understand how anyone could make that argument, because at the end of the day, when I'm I'm not just saying economic systems around, Biden uh, you makes know, that like argument every day. Sorry. What's that? I, I said Biden's making that argument every day. What are you talking yeah. about? Oh, yeah. And he's wrong, too. So but um, uh, but what I'm saying is, like. It's not just about wages or, you know, like I said, it's mm -hmm. it's de democracy in the workplace, unions, all of these other these other concepts that come into play. And then, you know, that housing markets, uh, you know, the affordability of everyday goods. There, there's a there's a, a whole confluence of factors that come into play so I gotta, that I, I got a question for you quick. I mean, and not to yeah. like it's not to so much cut you off completely. I just I just want clarification on this. So mm -hmm. what is your focus? How important do you think the focus is? Uh, in regards to the soul of a nation, the spirits of what the people. Mean? Not, I'm not talking because okay, to me, I think there's no me, such thing. First of all, like spiritual, no like okay. See, that's that's another thing. Is I believe that there, I believe there is. To me, I do see the soul of a nation. Sometimes it's in conflict. Like we all can have internal conflict within our souls, mm -hmm. within our hearts. Absolutely. We can have completely conflicting ideals and, com you know, huge struggles in, in us, within us. And that's also how I see a nation. We, you know, I see that as we have those internal conflicts, you know, I've, I've had those struggles, but that doesn't mean that we can not still move forward even with those. We just need to find a way to find uh, balance and to find the way to connect where, where it's important. So to me, I know you're you're focused on an economic structure, and I'm not trying to, you know, uh, in any way say that that's you know not important because it is absolutely, and it contributes to harming the soul of a nation and uh, you know wearing away at it. But I think one of the other things that we need to do is have discussions more about healing healing the uh, soul of our nation and actually moving forward. See, that's where I keep coming back to family. I know you are saying, well, this you're, you're focusing at this as the, as the cause. Well, I think having more of a, of a family focused approach is a way to help heal because once you find ways to help really strengthen that unit, strengthen those voices, I think that will resonate throughout the culture. That's why it's so important to me. Sure. You're, if, if you still have a broken soul, a broken culture, um, a weak soul of a nation, uh, no matter what you do with the economic structure, that's, that doesn't really mean anything to me. Uh, okay, but I so here's, here, here's what I would say, though, yeah. is I don't like, so first off, when I said I don't believe there is such a thing I'm, of a soul of a nation. I mean, anymore. I think there used to be, but the reason oh, okay, that there used okay. the reason that there used to be and there isn't anymore is exactly what I referred to very early on in our discussion is the atomization of our us as individuals, even within our family unit. People, you know, you're on your phone all day. You're not paying, and I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying me or you. I'm just saying like at large. This yeah. is what the culture yeah, is no. now. Everyone's so atomized. Everyone's so attention grabbed to things that aren't people that the social cohesion used to be based off of. And mm -hmm. again, what I'm saying is, you know, 
what what are the causes of that? And, you know, we've gone over a ton of them, but I would say, yes, there, there can be a repairing of the soul of a, a, of a, a, you know, a nation or any other nation. But my point is if a solid 30, 40% of your country has their head underwater being held under by a boot of economic oppression, they aren't going to hear your soul healing message. That's my point. It's that has to be the first yeah, step. But my That's point my point. Is if, wait, wait, if wait, 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 wait. Let me, fin- let me, let me, let me finish what I'm saying. Healed, though. They'll never be able to push the boot off. No, but that doesn't if make any sense view. because they're, they're, the boot that's pressing them down is literally making them incapable of having their basic human needs met before they can start doing any of this kumbaya shit that me and you would like no, to see. No, kumbaya. Happen. No, screw kumbaya. No, no, no. I, I, I hate that kumbaya crap. Well, no, no, I'm just no, saying. No, it, I'm, I'm just kumbaya. saying. I'm just saying it colloquially, like just as as shorthand of sure. Yeah. I think that there is a lot of um, you know, healing that needs to be done in this country, but a lot of it, you know. How can it even happen if no one's listening? Look, 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 Kevin, less than half the country votes. People aren't even participating in democracy, let alone alone talking about listening to what anyone's talking about, a national healing message. How do you get people invested in the democratic system? If that's even what you, you know, I don't mean you when I'm saying that's what you want. I'm talking just in general right now. If that's what people even want anymore, because the where we are right now, look at January 6th, the George Floyd riots, all this other shit. Uh, the recent poll that came out where I think it's like 7% of Americans think political violence is acceptable. We're in a very precarious place where talking about healing things in words is no longer applicable for those people. That That's See, that's past and gone. That's what I'm saying. I, we have to get to real know, meat, so- meat. We have to start concentrating on real meat and potato dinner table issues around yeah. people's real hurts and needs in this country. We can't continue to just have conversations about culture and healing the soul of a country when there, how can the soul be healed when the body is so damaged, when there's limbs missing? That's my point. That's why I'm saying. Yeah, see, to me, you connect the body and the soul. I don't. Well, well no, they the work end, in concert. They work in concert, though. So, That's what I'm so, saying. Here, to me, at the end of the day, if the soul is broken, then no matter what you do to try to lift the person up, it's not going to happen. Um, that's ultimately how I, how I see it, right? What, when you look at any movements, when you look at any movements of oppressed or those who being held down, it's a spirit, it's a fire that's in them. Even when they were in the most subdued situations, it was their fire, their spirit, their soul that gave them what they needed to push and and rise. Right. So how did, how did the third Reich recover? How did Germany recover? after their horrible soul-splitting uh, moments of World War II, and then we completely destroyed the country. How did they recover, Kevin? We rebuilt their country so, and made it possible. Saying- we made it possible for their body to be whole, and then their soul healed. Then they, pu- okay. then they, then they had a, 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 um, a, a countrywide finding of re- a reparation of the soul, but first we had to make the body whole. If you want to talk about it from a countrywide perspective, that's the mm-hmm. most recent example in modern history, right? What did we do? Same thing with Japan. We rebuilt Japan. We did not just leave them for shit like we do with Afghanistan, Iraq, all these other countries that we tear to fucking pieces. Same thing. The soul of those countries is still decimated and will never recover because we gave no effort towards rebuilding the body first. That's my argument. And the same thing needs to happen in America. How can we heal any of these political divides, any of this other shit when we constantly all have this rotten tooth that's just fucking with us all the time? That's what I'm saying. So here's the problem, though, is how are you going to heal that when the approaches are so drastic? Should we only 
But th this is the thing is you're talking. Okay. So what is your, then what is your ideal, your method that will get us our bodies healed. So our souls will be better. I, I personally think it's the, I think the soul is stronger than the body and needs to be stronger than the body. But I, you know, I, I think that's a area where we um, disagree on that. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't value the body and I don't see importance sure. in making well, the we body can, strong. We can leave the metaphor behind because we know what we're talking about. We're opposing yeah. economic so, well, economic so redevelopment the, versus the cultural day, what, and What economic healing. approach do you see that would unite us all in that, in, in pushing us forward with that? Well, no, it uh, wouldn't, I, it, I don't think it would unite us. I think it would provide the stable ground for us to start taking steps. That's all. That's it. Okay. That's it. So it's not, it's not, thing. it's not a wand wave. It's not going to fix anything. Yeah. It's just going to give us the ability to actually take steps again. That's what I think. But steps towards what? And can we agree on the steps in what direction they're going? The steps That's can like, come. Like, the steps can, the can we, we, we can worry about the steps afterwards. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to <laughs> heal the soul of a country. Sorry, that's, I, that's, I, that's, I have, I have no claim towards how to repair the family unit, how to heal the soul of the country. As you say, I have no prescription for that. All I'm saying yeah. is none of that. No one's that shit's going to go right so, at, through one ear and out the and, other ear of half of this country. Admit, that's what that's I'm saying. That's one of the most frustrating things for me. And like I said, it's not so much directed at you, but it's like uh, when I when I interact with the leftists, they're like, oh, we'll worry about that later. Oh, we'll do this and just think about the consequences later. We'll think about this later. I'm that's. Well, that's I a philosophical that question. There's no you can't you can't make a policy to heal the family unit. You can't make a policy well, to to heal the soul of a country. You can make a policy to give people opportunities and the ability to not have to be in survival mode all the time to actually be able to pay attention to the things that you want to talk about. Okay. That's what I'm so, saying. So can you do this without can you can you help raise others up without tearing others down? Sure. And it's like the whole redistribution of wealth, I think is one of the most I, I honestly think it's a a quite moronic um approach at the end of the day, because I think it goes against the human nature we are competitive by our very nature as a species well it's already that's been one, happening for biggest... 70 years though we, they've been know, redistributing the wealth up they've they've been no, doing no, no. It. and that's the thing but like the they've idea done then... that. <laughs> no no i'm not saying that it hasn't been happening at all i'm just saying this idea yeah. then for example that you know what i build part of that should be taken and given to someone else this is a very that's an why, oversimplified but... version though of what we're talking about we're not we're but not talking about is, taking I, some of what Kevin has. What we're talking about is building a system that stops continually sending all of the profits and money to everyone at the top. Go look at a timeline of the income inequality from 1920 to where we are now. That's an intentional design. That didn't that shit didn't happen on accident. So That's what I'm saying. You, okay, what so you, what do you mean? What then though? is your your plan, your your step towards that? Um, like, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, do you believe in wealth redistribution, for well, example? Uh, okay, so again, let's agree on what wealth redistribution means first. Okay, um, what does it, what does so it, it mean? So it means a fair tax system. It doesn't have to be anything crazy like people are talking about taking, you know, uh, fucking 90% of billionaires wealth. I'm not saying anything like that. Just a, an actual tax system that fucking works. One that's fair. You know, I think that the top marginal tax rate should probably hover somewhere around, I don't know, because the difference is, is it's here. You want to talk about taxes uh, as far as redistribution of wealth goes. There's two ways you can do this. You can either end all the loopholes, which everyone says and no one does. And then no, if we true. if we if we actually had the top marginal tax rate, marginal, mind you, marginal tax rate be at, you know, capped at, say, 
I don't know, $20 million is the top, uh, top, uh, bracket of that marginal tax rate and have that 20 million up be at like 40%. And then everything under that tier down and step down. I think that's pretty fair. Um, because we're not talking about like capital gains or anything else. I'm just talking about normal gross taxes. This is something that a lot of right-wingers like Ted Cruz, I actually have some agreement with him on. Unless there's no way that we're going to be able to actually have a fair tax code, in my opinion, rebuilt anytime this decade because everyone's fucking in politics on the le- Democrats and Republicans are all cucked, all fucking uh, just taking insane amounts of money from corporations. So I would actually, you know, Herman Cain style, baby, let's just do a flat tax. There are no more loopholes. I wouldn't have a fucking Ooh. problem with that in the interim of us doing this economic reformation that we're talking about. So that's step one. In my opinion, reform it somehow. Don't care how it happens. Just needs to be more fair. It's insane that so many rich people pay nothing. And me and you are paying what? Like 30% of our fucking pay uh, every week. Insane uh, to me. Can I ask for a clarification there in regards to what we, okay. So when you look at the rich, the wealthy individual, they do pay much more tax. Yeah. They do pay more taxes. Like, I mean, I'm curious. If they own things, if they own things, there's, there's people who make money in speculative markets, Kevin, that don't pay taxes. I, I, I know, but what I'm talking about is when you actually look at the numbers, though, the top what? It's the top 10% plays like what? That's 70% of the taxes in this country. Um, th- that's actually how it does. So the idea when that people tell me that the wealthy paying their fair share, I'm actually, well, when you actually break down the numbers, the wealthy pay the most of the time. Ta- sure, but if tax. you bring that, if you do the, but, if you, if you do the math and look at it proportionally for how many people are in that 90 uh, bottom percent and paying that 30% for what they make on an, on a median or average rate, it's an insane ratio. It's still wrong. That's the point. Yeah. Those people have so much money. It's still not enough. Even if they pay 70%. Of all the taxes paid, it still isn't enough because you have passed through income. There's still there's so many games played with all this shit. We could talk about it for hours. But oh, no, go absolutely. on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you. No, off, no, but no. It's I, just, I, see, well, it's just I came on this. Part of the reason I came on this show and I wanted to I wanted to talk with you is obviously you know I like I said I have my I have my interactions majority of my interactions up to this point basically for comparative measure, right? I can only really build off on the discussions that I've had. So what I want to understand is where you're coming from, from, Mm -hmm. you know, from your perspective on a specific issue, because I will admit a lot of my experience with people on the left is just take completely from the wealthy tax. I, I interact, I will say more of the people on the left that I interact with are the Tax them 90%, uh, you know, get as close to 100% if you need to and just take it. From no, like, that's, that's a bad idea because capital, that, flight, capital yeah. flight is real. A lot of those people so exactly, will just exactly, fucking leave. Exactly. Look at, that Fran, is when real. We look at France, right? When yeah. we look at France and what France did when they had that wealth tax and, and everything that occurred there. So this is, I, I need you to understand, um, just for clarification, where I'm coming from is usually when I'm interacting with um, individuals from the left, uh, socialists that I do know and have interacted with that is the mindset that i'm 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 dealing with that's why i wanted to get clarification on where you're coming from on that so that i know it's it's uh you know it's not in line with that because that's what i've i've dealt with and so far you actually are coming at it from a different perspective um in regards to the majority of my interactions with people who are left and who identify as socialists right No, it's like I said before, man, like if you I literally just want in the richest country in the world where we overwhelmingly work the most hours, we have the highest productivity per worker in the fucking world, even compared with China, 
People, a lot of people, a lot of people don't realize this. China used to be and it uh, used to have a higher productivity uh, than us per capita. They don't anymore. China has a real middle class. We right now, our wage earners in this country have the highest productivity per hour worked. Okay. Our wages do not reflect this. And that's a huge problem. I just want us, no matter how we, again, I, I can go into all these different issues around taxation, uh, the, the housing mm -hmm. market, you know, inflation of commodities, all of this different stuff. You know, I talk about all kinds of things on my show and I research a lot of different topics yeah. of, of how the everyday American, well, what makes it difficult for them to lead their lives and be happy. But what I'm saying is all I want, we can talk about all those individual things, but on a general, uh, um, prescriptive term all i want is for every american to be able to have a have make enough money to rent a two-bedroom apartment not even own a home be able to take a vacation once a year and have healthy food in their house and not have to eat like shit that is literally all i'm talking about i'm not even saying they have to own a car anything like that i'm just saying we have to establish a system where people can live dignified when they work 40 hours a week i know i sound like bernie sanders but that's a big reason why his message resonated so much with me because I don't see how anyone can deny that. If someone is working 40 hours a week, I don't care if they're digging ditches. I don't care if they're flipping burgers. I don't care if they're a fucking brain surgeon. You deserve to live in dignity in this country. We, we, all, we all live in this country that has a social contract by, uh, uh, that was established by people who were revolutionaries and then over time more uh, more and more people came along who added and built onto that system. And it was very much ingrained that the working men and women, men and women in this country should have the ability to prosper and have happiness, right? So all I'm saying is when we have a system that does not allow for everyone, we're, we're, we're purposefully designing it in a way where we're guaranteeing like 20% of people have to be wage slaves to keep this system afloat. I can't abide by that. That's insanity. That's so, insanity. Quick, quick. That's insanity. Okay, so I got a question uh, just for you then in uh, in regards to that. So what would you consider then a better approach? Because I know, <laughs> you know, we're talking about ideals of what we all want, but the fact is that there's the details that we got to focus on to get there, right? This is where we, I think, differ a little bit is to me, I do see power in focusing on the soul and giving strength to that soul. I think that it is possible even when you're completely destitute. I grew up impoverished. I my I remember going to the food bank as a kid. I remember my parents having to choose between paying the electric bill and the hot water. I remember my mother boiling water on the stove so I could take a bath. I remember the I remember the monopoly money that was for food stamps, right? And to me though, I look at it as that I so okay, let me mind you I know I'm personalizing I know I'm anecdotal, but to me, I still see wisdom in it, right? Is that for me, what helped me get out of that was finding my inner fire, finding my inner strength, healing what was broken there emotionally. Because I have relatives who never healed those things, and they're still stuck in that system. They're still stuck in that life because they, were, they still have never healed those parts of them that were broken internally. No, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Um, helping to lift a burden off the soldier, uh, off the shoulder, you know, that can prove helpful in, you know, in, in helping someone heal and move in the direction. I'm just saying, though, that if someone doesn't have that fire within them, 
if someone hasn't found a way to nurture that flame, um, then it doesn't matter what help you offer, they're still going to fail. Uh, so I, I guess what question I have for you then is what would you consider uh, a better approach? Um, going at employers, going at like corporations in regards to paying certain wages or that, or finding a way to, so fixing, you know, fixing, you might say both, but I'm curious as to what you think would have more of the impact. Um, so going at it there on the employee side or going at it to, for example, in unions, because if you talk, and this is where I, I actually have a lot of discussion with conservatives, cons conservatives tend to be very anti-union right now. A lot of them I will interact with, and, but I'll talk to them. I'm like, well, what was your father or your grandfather or your mother or your grand were, were they unionized? Do you have any family connections? And they're like, well, actually, yes. And it's it's like unions weren't always, I don't feel like unions were always, you know, necessarily a a conservative or a liberal thing per se, because I know many conservatives, old school, many conservative, uh, you know, within America, many conservative areas that, you know, the, the union was thriving. The union was a part of it. Every guy um, I worked with was a right winger in my union. Almost. Exactly. Like that's almost every guy. So, yeah, yeah. So this idea, <clears throat> so I find it interesting. That's where I think actually conservative Republican politicians disconnect um, when they come out so um, adamantly opposed to unions. Um, I think they disconnect with the fact is that there are a lot of conservatives who are part of who, who are in unions. Um, so I feel yeah, that they're, that's they're blue collar that's, jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's there's I, conservatives um, there. <laughs> and I and I have I have discussions with um, with conservatives a lot on that, especially those who are involved in politics about how, ironically enough, um, you know, you're you talk about the blue collar worker who tends to be more conservative. Absolutely. But you're really not speaking to them um to who they really are uh you're you're kind of just um touching surface issues touching some pressure points they're hope, talking about you know, cultural issues because that's yeah. all our politics and is about now so, so let me, let me get back to what i was about to ask though because i don't want to just yeah, you said attack corporations I, or I, I, union uh method. Okay. That's so what, what do you think is more important at uh restructuring or creating more of a structure to the impact is uh getting employers corporations um, uh, going after them in regards to wages or setting, uh, you know, obviously focusing on like minimum wage and raising that or finding a way working to restructure unions to make them less like the corporations that they were created to take on and really giving the power and the voice back to the people of the unions. Like, what do you think, um, like I said, you might say both, but what do you think is a more productive path? Well, so the second one isn't really uh, any type of solution, in my opinion, because the issue isn't reforming the unions, uh, which you I'm not saying that doesn't need to be d done. Like, I don't know. You can't really reform unions unless you change laws. Right. But I would say first that the laws that need to be changed are the insane. Uh, you know, so many states have right to work. Like there's a ton of barriers to people even make creating unions, first of all. So that's a big part of the problem because I don't think that the best route is, oh, everyone just join these giant national unions. No, that's a bad idea right now, uh, like oh, without yeah. anything else happening yeah. first. So I would say yeah. no, like number two is not the fucking option. And number one, <laughs> number one, I would say I, I would reframe the way that you framed that is I wouldn't frame it as attacking corporations to demand more money or anything like that. $15 minimum wage all last year hovered around 55, 60% approval rating amongst Republicans and Democrats. I'm talking about making our democracy actually function. 
I'm not talking about attacking anyone. I'm talking about doing what people in this country actually fucking want. That's what I'm saying. This is this is a, this is the populist side of all of this. You know what I mean? This isn't just me saying, "Oh, I'm an idealist leftist." This is also me saying, "These are this is what people are crying out for." These are, these things are popular. When when Kirsten Cinema went out on the house on the uh, Senate floor and curtsied thumbs down the fifteen dollar minimum wage, you know that was one of the most disgusting things I think I've ever seen since I've been paying attention to politics, and that's including you know horrible foreign policy decisions, uh, mass death, like all kinds of crazy shit that our presidents have done on both, you know, Obama, Trump, Bush, any of them. It was honestly one of the most viscerally disgusting things I think I've ever seen because not only was it a $15 minimum wage, uh, polling above 65% in her state, which by the way, they passed it by a state referendum, even after she fucking thumbs down a federal one. And I get it that some people have their reservations around setting min uh, minimum wage policies on a federal level. And, um, you know, we can get into a whole economic discussion about the velocity of money and how corporations actually won't even really feel that impact. Uh, corporations that make commodities, that is. Corporations that make money off speculation will feel a little bit of that uh, burden. Yeah. But companies that actually make things that their workers can buy, like, again, let's refer back to, you know, America, like you referred to, when we actually made things. What did Henry Ford talk about when he was paying some of the highest wages in America that a blue-collar worker could make? What did he say? His quote was, I want my workers to be able to afford a Model T. That's why he paid mm -hmm. them that way. Because he understood, if my workers can afford this, they're buying my product. If more people can afford to fucking have a car, I make more money. That's that 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 concept still applies today. People act like yeah. it doesn't because we're in this modern economy with so much speculation where me or you can go speculate on anything. There's crypto. We can buy stocks. People couldn't do that shit back then. People had their money. They spent it on what they needed. They bought, um, you know, a washer was like a high end item to buy like a washing machine. You know what I mean? Like we don't have mm -hmm. that anymore. We're at the, we're, we're sort of at the pinnacle, the end of where, in my opinion, uh, you know, luxury things in the household really mean anything like what are we talking about now like kitchen aids shit that costs like 500 dollars, like dumb shit like that for the most part now to work in america you need a car you can't even uh, most cities you can't even fucking you can't you can't live in the capital region and take the bus to work it limits you to where you can work where the fuck are you gonna work you gotta have a car so these things went from luxury to necessity and my point is um to, to circle back to answering your question is i don't see it as attacking corporations i see it as a invoking actual democracy in a country that up uh, claims and will 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 everyone that uh, holds the controls of this country any president since you know fucking go back as far as you want will herald this country as the pinnacle the shining city on a hill of democracy but somehow things like uh, legalization of marijuana $15 minimum wage it's extremely popular never seem to pass and why is that because we do not function as a democracy when it comes to things that people actually want. Um, look at the public uh, public policy polling of most of the major legislation that's passed, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the last 20 years. For the most part, none of it's even passed 55 percent. Uh, it's all shit that corporations wanted, special interests. It's not things that people want. And when we're talking about a $15 minimum wage, the reason that that's critical is it's not just, oh, people want this thing. In my opinion, when my analysis on the George Floyd protests and a lot of uh, other shit, I wouldn't apply it so much to January 6th, but a lot of the political violence and um, general civil, civil, civil unrest that's happened in the last decade in this country, you can attribute a lot of that directly to what was happening economically at the time. George Floyd, 
all those police stations all over the country burning, people looting, all this wild shit. Why did that happen? Because you had about, you know, I don't know, 20% of the population of young men in this country had no fucking job. That's what happens. Any country, look at it uh, at any point throughout history, any empire, anything. If you have a certain percentage of young men that don't have work, what do they do? They fuck shit up. That's what happens. That's a failure of a system. That $15 minimum wage and people not making enough money is expressed in all these little tiny outbursts all throughout our country on a nationwide level. And sometimes they get heightened. Well, you know, Ferguson, things like that. It's not just police brutality that people are mad about. They just don't understand these complex systems that are built purposefully to be so Byzantine to not understand why they have this nagging feeling of despair all the time. And then they express it in violent, mean ways, eating away at the soul that you talk about so often, that I do agree with you. There is a soul in people. I'm not a religious person. I just think that the, the country can't collectively have a soul because most of us don't even understand why or where this pressure we feel comes from. And I'm not saying that it comes from just so, work. It's coming so I, from, it's coming from a confluence of factors of, like you said, so many people having to decide, wow, do I pay for my insulin or my car insurance? Or do I have heat this month? You know, that's so a, I've got a question for you. That's all. As you, as you said, because you've done a lot of talking there and you've made a lot, you know, a lot of points and a lot of uh, hopes and all this stuff. But this is where we come back to an area where, you know, I know you're focusing more with the economics, but the fact is culture does play a role in this. The thing sure. is, is the reason, so the reason why politicians and, you know, corporations and all, all these individuals can do what they do is because the culture itself is distracted with so many other things that it's, it's decided to focus on. So um, this is where I get into my soul, speaking to the soul, so with that, though, because right now we're in we're caught up in the culture wars specifically. We are very much both on the left and the right. That's where even, you know, some of the arguments are and you hear on both the left and the right. It's a fight for the soul of a nation. That is that is that is an argument you still hear. You hear uh, really much a great deal focus on um, race, sex, sexual orientation, religion, all that, all that stuff. So there are there are the cultural focuses. So my question is then to you. Because you need to find a way to speak to that culture. The fact is you need to acknowledge that cultural division and you need to find a way to speak to it. What is the path forward, do you think, then, to speaking to that culture, to those divisions, and finding a way to change the focus onto what you feel is the more important matter? Because the thing is that if you have, if you get the culture as a, as a whole focusing on something, then they're not obviously then that distraction is gone and the politicians can't can't you know do this on the side why the people are distracted by this so what is the path forward would you say to get people talking and focusing on that because um earlier you kind of play down um talking and communication i actually think it's highly important i think it's still one of the most crucial things that we can do well we're doing and, it i I'm, i do yeah, it. i'm, I'm talking know, about like, the national like, level i play it down because yeah. everyone's so cynical with the national politics that i don't think there's any yeah. there's so, any uh a effectiveness to be had there that okay the, so that's what i'm saying Okay, but then you're talking about government applying things. So, um, so that to me that tends to kind of then contradict with taking a national approach. If you feel that uh, the communication is broken down nationally and really isn't. When Trump sent those there. checks out, that money was communication. That this that, hey, 
Shit's fucked up. The government is going to help you right now. Everyone loved that. Polled at an insane rate. It was a need. I get it. It was That's anecdotal. It was at a specific time during a pandemic. But what I'm saying is that was, again, it played into the um you know you're saying what what can cut through that divide what can you say what 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 um what message can you provide you know perfect example look at trump trump one of his most popular things that he ran on and that he talked about for years and never did he talked about cutting prescription drug prices that resonated on the right wing why is that no other republican ever talked about that why is that because that's an issue we all share and everyone agrees on but it gets hyper politicized and trump was a unique figure that came in that was viewed as a as apart from the system. So uh, a lot of right wing, a lot of conservatives were able to agree with that. But here's the ironic thing. Bernie Sanders was talking about that shit for four years before Trump even ran. For for decades before Trump even ran. So it was a leftist message that was resonating for I don't know how long where we were talking about issues in the insurance companies and the uh, drug prices and all this shit. Everyone on the right wing opposed it, and the majority of Democrats did too. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a fucking... Uh, there's, uh, you know, Cory Booker <laughs> takes like a half a million dollars a year from the pharmaceutical industry, okay? So hey, <laughs> this is a left and right it's issue. Not, it, it is not Cory Booker. It is Spartacus. Thank you very much. <laughs> but my point uh, is, when Trump started speaking those things, and this is, you know, this got me in trouble on the left. I gave him credit. Anytime he said anything that I thought was, hey, you know what? This is an issue that can unify the country. Those are the types of things that I'm talking about. And as much as I do give credence to what you're saying, I'm not saying that we can't get to a place where we can talk about these, um, you know, you call it healing the spirit. I would call it if you're just talking about like, hey, what can we do politically? What type of like I don't want to call it a political program, but political prescription. Can we apply without actually changing anything economically and still have like some positive result and, you know, stop all of the political unrest and everything and the way that we view each other? Um, I would say that um, it's just general humanism, like just talking about, you know, you know, how the the idea of us respecting one another and, you know, just just basic tenets of greek philosophy around humanism that's what i would say because again i'm not a religious person but my you know my mother is for example and a lot we have a lot of crossover and we have a lot of philosophical discussions about talking about you know the value of a human life and what things a society should create and uh, afford people to actually value that rather than just talking about it you know what i mean that's the difference when we're talking about philosophical concepts metaphorical things um you know, it's at the end of the day, there has to be praxis somewhere. There has to be a physical application in the corporal realm of how do these things that we're talking about actually take place, if not in our politics, but somehow, um, you know, to show people that there's a there's a real thing you can smell, touch, hear, taste that represents these ephemeral ideas we're talking about around the spirit and, you know, or as I said, humanism or any of these other things. Because at the end of the day, we're a country of over 360 million people, right? And that atomization we talked about still exists. So the that's why I, when you, you know, when you're, you're saying, you know, the culture change needs to come first, that's the horse and the economics is the cart. I can't really agree with that because it's like, how do we pierce the veil of, People even realizing that, like, hey, there's larger things happening here that you can take a part in, you know. Um, but I, I just, I just, I just don't know what the vehicle would be for that. So oh, I would pose so that question. You've been asking me a lot of questions. Okay. What would your prescription be for this healing of the spirit of the nation that you keep referring to? 
So for me, right, so this, I, I want to also focus on a point that a lot of people, when they think of conservatives, they think of Republicans. And to be honest, to a degree, I mean, I, I actually consider myself more, you know, I ran as a Republican, but at the end of the day, I just, I, I guess I think just more along conservative than necessarily the, the party affiliation, you know, or even more than that, I just think that I have my values and that's what I vote with. That's honestly, um, at the at the end of the day, where I come from, uh, uh, you know, if we weren't so um, party focused, especially here in New York State, and you know, especially with our closed primaries, would I be registered? Uh, would I be unaffiliated? Possibly, um, but uh, you know, I I am a registered Republican. Uh, but the first thing I want you know that I want to say is that a lot of people, I think, they mistake. They think you know, conservatives are against um, <clears throat> you know using, uh, especially on a local level. Uh, well that we're against um, government programs altogether um, being put in place to to help people, to provide support. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, for me, I am actually okay with government programs. Uh, more specifically, I prefer things to be done locally because I think uh, there needs to be more focus of strength in communities uh, than necessarily federally. Because uh, like I said, I think if one community is doing something better than another community, then that other community can then learn from them uh, and, and their approach and maybe try to apply it to see if it works with the structure of their community, because it might not. Um, I'm okay with programs that are actually designed to get to strengthen people, not just give them something. It's the, you know, give a man a uh, fish versus teaching him to fish. If you are showing me a program that is designed to teach that man to fish, I will, I will be more likely to support that. But if you are showing me something that, from my perspective, is just giving someone something, then I'm not going to support that because I don't I, see. I how mean, that I, to be can... fair, I haven't said anything about giving anyone no, no, anything. No, I, I, I want to be, and I want to <laughs> clarify. I'm not saying this to you, I, I, man. I'm not saying this to you specifically. I'm not. I'm just saying. Um, in in general, like a lot of discussions I have with my more left leaning friends and you know individuals in my life, it's it's a lot of give 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 give, and I, when I ask them, I'm like, well, how is this what you want to do? How is it making the individual stronger? How is it building them up so they don't need it? Uh, when my family was on, um, you know, when my parents, because uh, here's what happened with my parents is the. The job where they both were working, uh, it closed down. Both my parents were put out of work at the exact same time because they both worked there. Um, and at that same time, my mother's health took a turn for the worse, so she wasn't able to return to work. So it was they both, the, the, the place where they were working closed down. Both of them were out of work. My mom's health took a turn for the worse, so it just left my dad to find a job. And he, he did find a job. And my parents weren't too proud to get help, get support from government programs. But what was always stressed by my parents was, to me at least, was you need to use this to work your way out of it. And I'm sorry, and you may say this is anecdotal, but where is that currently, where does that exist in our current structure of you know the welfare system, of those programs really focusing on I feel like there's a lot more of, well, we're just going to throw this money at, we're just going to kind of make you feel good. But where is really the effort to make people stronger? To make well, them what, would, what would your policy suggestion be, though? 
you you you've asked me so, to so, to suggest okay, so fixes. Policy, what would so your policy suggestion be? I think when we're focusing on government programs, it's first of all we need uh, we would need to focus on restructuring of them all together to the point where when something isn't working, then this this is also a feel how I feel we are with our programs, our government programs, is that we create one to deal with an issue, right? That one doesn't work right, so we don't necessarily get rid of it. We create another program to kind of either complement it or, you know, it may even in a way be separate from it. I feel like we don't address the issue. What is the malfunction in that, in, in that program? What is the issue in that program? Why are the people not thriving? Why are they not getting stronger who are, you know, taking part in it and that's like okay one 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 uh program i was uh, i i was a part of and this is at the end of the day where we also then realize that maybe and I, this is where i get called cold and heartless but it's a true fact some people are beyond help with certain things they just are they are going to be lost forever and that's just a fact um, so do you, do you give in, up on those people and just have no programs and let them be on the street what do, do you I do? give up on people oh no i i will always allow i would always allow those programs to be accessible to people if they were willing to work but if they're not so you want a work requirement work, for welfare that's what you're saying i want not so much necessarily a work requirement i want a and i'm not talking about work necessarily in the sense of just getting a job i'm talking about work in the sense of working on who you are and becoming stronger and a more productive individual. Yeah, but and you can't. I said we're talking about policy prescriptions. That's not something that can be done via government. So what you're talking about right yeah, now is so, just. So no, 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 no. That's where I'm talking about a spiritual awakening about of spirit. some sort. This is where I talk about the spirit because part of that is building strength in the individual. Okay, learning a skill, right? Like part of the. Okay, so example with our education system, um, I think we've also moved in a direction, and this may take us on another course, but hey, we've done that several times so far, um, <laughs> is that um, right now I feel part of our issue is that I grew up in a, in a generation that was so focused on you need to go to college, you need to go to this four-year, you know, get this at least four years, maybe eight, whatever, get your, you know, associates isn't even enough now, it's, you know, get that bachelor's, get this, get that. And I actually think back on it and I'm like, you know what? I I wish that I had been pushed more into, I don't know, heck, a, a welding program. I was like, why wasn't, why wasn't that stressed by a school counselor? Why wasn't that a focus for me? I feel like that would have been a better path. We became so focused on, well, this, this course through college. I, and, you know, I look at it and I'm like, okay, so I went through it. I didn't connect with it. I will admit, you know, I didn't get a degree and now I have this college debt. You know, that's mine. I made the decision as free will. I still made the decision, but the guiding hand at the time when I was making that decision, I wish it was a guiding hand that showed me more options or at least uh, wasn't so focused on just one specific direction. Um, you know, th that's, that's the thing is like that to me is also, um, what can contribute to help building the spirit and help building the soul, help healing the soul is showing people the possibilities. If they, if they can find it within them to, you know, muster that strength and go through a certain process that they can then, this is possibly what they can accomplish. 
you know, but to see that it's multiple, multiple directions. And this is what what you're talking about is like, we're talking like on a Tony Robbins level here, though. This isn't politics. That's what I'm saying. This isn't, but well, I'm saying it's, it's motivational politics. Well, no, no, but it's not because we're not talking. Politics means you're using some lever of government to accomplish a goal. If you're not doing that, it's not politics. It's just people standing up there and saying things. That's no, just. I'm not. Well, that's what I was saying. We can. Act, so. That's we, what I'm saying. Obviously, we use politics. Politics, obviously, then we have politicians who are creating these, you know, helping to create these systems, right, within the government that are meant to help people and build them up. And I think that's what we need to focus on. But we need to focus more on creating programs if we're going to have those social programs, when we're focusing on creating them, we need to create them in a fashion that is more goal oriented towards making people, helping people find their strength and building them up and really helping, whether it's teaching them a skill, whether it's maybe even helping them with psychological issues. To me, if you are showing me something that is constructive, in a way, like I said, that's actually going to help strengthen the community, help strengthen individuals, and it's a social program. And you you have a plan for it. Heck, if it's if it's not shown, if it doesn't, if it's not yielding, if it you know, if it's not getting the results that you had hoped for, that there's a path to address that, then I I will support that. And this this ha- and that's where politics does come in. Like I said, I'm not, as I said earlier, I am not against government altogether. I am certainly not one of those individuals that think that government shouldn't exist. I've I've met a number of those individuals, uh, especially in some libertarian circles. Libertarians are very interesting to me. Um very yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> you know, basically it's like what can there's so little government, it's like what what would get done? I mean, what there's there's no there's no cohesion there at all. Uh Coca-Cola but, will just sponsor the roads and everything will be fine. Oh yeah, that's just good. <laughs> I've had I've had that discussion several times. Uh, but but so so I'm not I'm not that. I wanna I wanna make that clear is that while I am very no, critical I, I of government. That. I never thought that. I am very critical of government. I am I am very cautious when it comes to government. I guess what I'm asking for is that when we're working to create these programs that are designed to help people that we are taking a more detailed approach as to, first of all, how they will work, what their ultimate goal is. And is there, do we have a mechanism in place? Do we have something in place to address it if they fail? And then what is that approach? I want more detail. Um, I, earlier, in, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying what came across is you were like saying, well, here's the goal. And the details, just figure it out as you go. That's that I'm well, really bad. Ke- <laughs> Kevin, to be to be fair to me, we were talking about changing an entire macroeconomic yeah. system. That's not something yeah. I'm not an economist. I can't sit here and get yeah. super oh, no, granular no, no, no. on every Lego yeah. with you. You know, well, and I I'm feel like I, is, I feel like I got quite detailed in my prescription for yeah. a tax rehaul of the system, people having more yeah. uh, ability to have feel like their democracy actually functions somewhat. I feel like those two things right there would be huge leaps and bounds towards, you know, uh, if what we're talking about here is our goal being, you know, this insane civil unrest that isn't going away. 
you know, if that's what we're talking about ameliorating, then I think that those things would take large steps towards that. At the very least, um, peeling off some of the people, some of that, again, that 7% of people who are saying that political violence should be used to achieve uh, political goals. You know, that's alarming to me. So I, I just want to finish up on that. I hope I, I hope what I was saying in regards to um, because you asked me for my approach, I hope that was offering some clarification on it. Uh, you well, know, I mean, I would ask you to narrow down on like you're saying pro you, what programs you, you, you have what what right. what prescriptions? Because, again, right. I, so get, example, I understand okay. I understand what you're saying in a framework. I understand yep. where you're going with it. But I'm saying and again, let's bring it back to I know that you aren't really uh um you know so much attuned to federal response to things but i feel like a lot of these issues that we're talking about are on such a gigantic scale that you're just i mean let's not forget that we have entire states probably about 22 of them in this country that just won't do anything on their own you know um so like again like so like if you had a magic wand and you were president kevin hammer and (laughs) the people loved you and your approval rating was 80 percent through the roof you know, what, what would you do to fix some of these pains? First of all, I'm pretty sure my approval rating isn't even 80% among family and friends, but uh, (laughs) I'll be honest there. You have a mandate. You're an independent president. You weren't even in a party. You fucking won. You have the golden pen. You can just sit there. What what would you do? Oh, so many things. Um, well, like I said, um, the the to me, I was trying to get the idea with the prescriptions. I really do think that we can use government in a very strategic way. Uh, and I first think that where we have states that are able to and local communities that are able to do it, that's where we need to focus on them uh, creating programs within their community to help others. Um, get back on track with their life. And, you know, programs though that, like I said, are actually designed to help people move forward, to help build them up. Because I really don't, I, I, okay, so I, having experienced the welfare system, having experienced different aspects of, you know, social programs and stuff like that, I really don't feel like there was engagement on the human level. Um, so what do you, what do you think is going to be more, more, um, productive for an individual in a social program? And I realize this then takes other structural changes, right? Which I would like you with the economy, you know, you know, you're not an economist, but you'd also have to go into so much more detail with stuff is that, um, what do you think is more, is more helpful being able to get a program to where an individual can engage with someone I mean, directly engage with them, even if it's over the phone, hearing voice and stuff like that, engaging with them on their on um, the direction their life is going to take, uh, following up with them on their on how productive they are uh, in, you know, in the steps that they're taking, uh, the goals that they're making, uh, or just like, I don't know, letters being sent from, uh, you know, from some whether welfare program, whatever it may be, a letter being sent to update this, saying you need to do this, saying you need to do that. I feel like uh, what we need are programs that involve more human engagement. I think that's another thing. So we're uh, talking you know, about we're talk- an army of federal social workers. Then. <laughs> I mean, I that, mean, that's what we're talking about here. I am actually, so here's the thing. I am actually not opposed to really focusing on 
um, social work, you know, really strengthening where we are in regards to our social workers. Absolutely not. Um, no it's it. just, it's just like I said, I want to be strategic and narrow in, you know, in focus on how we apply it. Like, I don't want to just try to take, so, so say we do take a program to address this issue. That doesn't necessarily mean- We're talking about welfare, that exact, right? That's the issue we're talking Yeah, welfare. About. Right. Well, just like, so uh, let me let me say, okay, so um, when I, when, uh, after my mother passed away, I moved in with with my father for a bit and I tried to take care of him. Uh, my, you know, when my mother, my mother passed away in uh, 2009 and my dad, he was facing health issues. He had already retired uh, at the time. None of my other siblings could do it. So I picked up my life and moved with him to, well, Cobaskill, New York of all places. Right. And I was trying to get a transfer uh, for the company I was working for. I was, you know, and they were, they the management said, you know, oh, we're, we're getting close. We're getting close. But, but eventually we got to a point where I had already rented the apartment. My dad was already there, but I was still stuck at my job, you know, a good, a good distance away. I was still, I was still stuck where I was and I needed to get there to be, to be with him. And I ended up taking a different job. And unfortunately, um, it, it just didn't work out. You know, I couldn't, the the money wasn't there. The hours weren't there at the job that I took. Certainly not the hours that were promised in the interview. I can tell you that. Um, ne never and, is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so I ended up, I realized, okay, this is not, this is not working out. I cannot keep this up. And I talked with my one sister and I'm like, okay, uh, dad is then going to have to come live with you. And I had gotten myself into a hole where I was struggling trying to you know keep everything afloat so there was a program in place where I, at that point i didn't have a resume i'll be honest i actually did not have a resume um you know i just i i just worked a job you know <laughs> and i didn't have a you know anything to really offer when i sat down at that interview i didn't have that resume that you know or even really a jumping off point a approach when it came to interviews um there was a program available in Cobaskill at the time. It was a resume building program. And what this program did was it helped you create a resume. It helped you create it even for if it was a specific career. Uh, you sat down, you did mock interviews, and they really helped. So it was, it was in person. It was a hands-on approach. It was, okay, well, you did pretty well, but here's what you could have done better during this interview. All right, this resume is great, but uh, you, if you restructure it here, it could be stronger. And I still have the same base structure to my resume today from that program. And that is what I mean by it was a program that actually helped me change. Like not just, it didn't just give me something to get me by. It didn't just give me that fish so I could eat for that day. It really taught me how. It taught me how to be stronger. It taught me how to do what I needed to do to get out of the position that I was in. And I don't feel like we have programs that do that effectively or enough of them. 
And I feel like uh, we also have a lot of programs that are busted, a lot of approaches uh, by government to address issues that are broken. So I think that I think that, to me, I, I think that like is as useful as something like that would be. The problem is, you know, you're a dynamic person. You're an intelligent individual. You know, you have charisma. Um, there's a lot of intangible things that certain humans possess that make them more likely to get a good job, all of these things. And the problem is since that, you know, story you just told, which took place around 2009, 2010, and the 10, 12 years that have passed since then, a lot of the jobs that we're talking about don't really pay enough in the first place for someone to kind of be on their own or not have a roommate or live with their mom and shit like that. I mean, we're back to these structural issues, right? I mean, if someone doesn't have any of the things I just listed, you know, being a charming gentleman like yourself or any work experience or skills or college degree, I mean, just like you said, I went to college too. I didn't finish. And I know a ton of people who uh, I went to school with that do have degrees that make way less money than I have in the last 10 years. Um, so I, again, I, I think that we're back to this same concept of these larger structural issues at hand that on the macro sense pose a serious issue for our economic system and people's everyday lives and being able to be successful in this country. You know what I mean? I don't know how much a program of helping people, you know, you know, build the skills that they need to get a good job. I don't know what, what, what how effective they would be. You know what I mean? I mean, because, because again, it goes back to, you know, I would ask you, I would pose you this question. Do you think that my base principle of what everything my politics is built from is that no matter what job you do in this country, should you be able to have a roof over your head, eat decent food and not worry about not being able to pay things to survive or have medicine to survive. You know, I think that that's such a base question that I don't, I want to hear what you think on that. Do you think someone working 40 hours a week in America, doesn't matter the job. Do you think that it is correct? Do you think that it should be necessary for our system that we have built? Me and you didn't build it. We were born into it. Do you think that this system at large which the only way you can change these macroeconomic principles is at the federal level. You cannot do it locally. You can do it locally in states like, in, in uh, you know, places like Seattle or, you know, places where you have literal socialists on the city council because they're the only people willing to be radical enough to make the changes that can necessitate everyone living that level at that level of dignity no matter what work they do. But I ask you this base question. Do you or do you not think Every American, no matter their skill level, whether they're the only thing they can do is be a ditch digger. You know, they literally no charm, no very low intelligence because these people exist. We uh, we have these conversations around, you know, oh, why don't you just go do this? Blah, blah, blah. Some people can't do school, man. Some hey, people are, went, are you, some people are you saying there's no charming ditch diggers? I'm I'm I, sure well, there's, a, there's I'm, I'm just I'm just saying we all know some folks and you know those folks yeah. are out there. There's there's a lot of poor souls that just have made series of bad decision after bad decision. You know, I don't know, maybe they ended up in jail, maybe they didn't finish high school. But but here's my point. Is a GED program really going to help them in this system? Is them making even $15 an hour in New York State going to help them in this system? Do can you honestly say that with a straight face? That's why I want to ask you that. Do you think 40 hours a week, all those things I listed, yes or no? It's just, I think it's really that simple. I know it seems like an oversimplification, but 
it really is like a, a base. It's a base philosophical political so, question in this age we live in that I, I, think, I think that think if we is. can't, I think that if we can't find agreement on that, because anyone who says no to that answer is definitionally saying that their wage slaves should exist in this country. That's my point. And I think that that's a huge part of the divide that we have because there's a huge chunk of this country, not just on the right. There's a ton of Democrats who say no to that answer. Do you think yes or no to that? So here's the thing. And I don't, I don't mean to load me, it so much. I don't mean to load it so much, yeah. but I, I'm trying to explain, well, you, you know, where know. I'm coming from and where you there's, lie on there's that. There's a lot of components to that is, is it, would it be ideal, obviously, that a 40, you know, that working 40 hours, you should, you know, it would be reasonable, you know, that someone would be able to live and have a life off of that. Um, yes, but defining as to now the problem is then once again, I'm a creature of details mm -hmm. is that, for example, a lot, one of the things that concerns me the most, um, on those who keep going after corporations, such as those focusing on minimum wage and, and all that stuff is they act like also everyone is working for a larger corporation that yeah, can for sure. handle for this. Sure. And this is this is also what aggravates me is that I've known a lot of small business owners. I still know a lot of small business owners where what to me and most of them are from the left. OK, I'm not saying that there are any other way, but most of what most of the approach that the individuals I know that want to take towards these larger corporations would destroy small businesses or damage them severely. Well, what if we it's said like, if you had 100 employees or more? Well, that's giving, and see, now that's getting into details that I can then have a conversation with. But that's not the approach that's being, that's, that's being taken. I mean, where is the discussion then about, for example, a certain uh, uh, how to approach with minimum wage, right? Then should it say that minimum wage be, you know, what, you know, what minimum wage a, a corporation or a company is here. To I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example right now. So we set it at, um, $15 federal minimum wage. Any company that has a hundred employees or more needs to pay it. And on top of that, they will pay, I don't know, a 0.3% tax right off the top to subsidize companies with less than a hundred to pay that wage. If they, it, it, but they have to prove on the books, what their profit is. And all of that shit. Simple. You apply it with your business taxes every year. You say, hey, I make this much. This is how many employees I have. I pay $12.50. Paying 10 workers an extra $2.50 an hour would break me. Okay, boom. We subsidize that from the fucking 0.2% that we take from those large giant corporations. Is that reasonable? Or do you, because the thing is, you, again, I, I, I accept and recognize the fact that you're saying you aren't completely against using, you know, some level of policy prescription to ameliorate these issues, because this is a band-aid. You know what I mean? This isn't, again, this is a part of the, the, we have to take this into the, all the other confluence of factors of, you know, the average one bedroom apartment in New York state. I mean, we won't even talk about downstate, but just up here, upstate is <laughs> like, what, like a one bedroom apartments, like what, like nine, eight, a nine hundred, a thousand dollars. And a lot of those are shitty apartments. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no, so, so someone making, let's just say 14, let's just be generous, $14 an hour. You, you can't afford to live on your own. You can't. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, I, I just, I, I feel like we worry so much about what's going to happen without applying any of the economic principles that we know, like scientifically through economic analysis, 
with the velocity of money and all of these corporations. And again, I say corporations, I'm not including small businesses in this because if small businesses have to raise their wages, what, what would that be? You know, a dollar 80 to meet 15 in New York. And the, the real problems would arise in places like Alabama, Mississippi, where they're still using the federal minimum wage. Um, cause they don't have a state minimum wage. So that would be a doubling. That would be an economic issue. I agree with that. You can't do that that fast. But what I'm saying is, are we truly, you know, people, not only are we talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but, um, a big principle that I think, you know, Europe, uh, does a lot better than us is the freedom of travel. Um, you know, the, the stark contrast of what people make in different States is also severely limiting. You know what I mean? Uh, like, look, look, for example, how Texas is booming right now. A big part of that mm-hmm. is because their economy is, you know, uh, very laissez-faire. And but they there's a lot of high wages happening right now in Texas that didn't used to be the case. I have family that live mm-hmm. in Texas that are, you know, they're living in Austin. They're in the heart of it right now. And I, Austin, have, I have family in Texas as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and Austin's quite liberal. You know, they've they've done a lot of liberal things. Um, um, But, you know, and you, whether you want to attribute that to some economic success or not is up to you. But. Um, you know, there's a lot of states in our union in the South that are using that state minimum wage that just don't have one or a federal minimum wage. And, you know, that's really what I'm, I'm not even necessarily just talking about people in our backyard. You know what I mean? I think New Yorkers have a great deal of opportunity compared to a lot of people in our union, but I just, you know, but to get, but again, the cost of living is so much higher here. So if you're working at Stewart's or whatever, making $14 an hour, how do you address that system how do you how can you possibly view that system as not needing immediate overhaul if that person can't just have an apartment and like pay their normal bills like not even have internet not even have health insurance you know what i mean just like bare minimum like i just want to be alive how do we how can we juxtapose that with this idea of what we think this country is when you have people who are literally suffering under the conditions that we've created that have to work themselves to death just to survive. And then at the same time, expect them to participate in some political system where we want everyone to participate in democracy or, you know, be good neighbors or any of these other things when they literally are just trying to survive at all times, you know, often living in areas where their survival is constantly on the back of their mind. Because, you know, that $900 a month apartment is probably in a shitty place. It's probably in, like, Mount Pleasant, Schenectady, or, like, you know, <laughs> some horrible area in Albany. You know what I mean? Like, let's keep it real here. You know, how much can we expect good outcomes from people who live in the circumstances that me and you both grew up under? You know what I mean? That we were both lucky to have parents who, you know, uh, uh, it seems like your parents, you know, did their, da- their darndest to, you know, not make you experience the worst of what that life can bring you know being in that situation for however long it is oh yeah Um, no trust me i i I look back at my youth honestly i look (laughs) being a grown man and working and paying for all the bills i look back at what my parents were going through at that time and i'm like they must have gone to bed with so much weight on them and so many worries that I was completely unaware of. Like, I mean, I got to see a little bit of it, but as an adult, and I look back, cause I know, I know, you know, the ultimate goal of being a parent is that your child be better off, you know, than you, you know, or be able to do that. And so my parents, at least- Which were you know, the first generation, by the way, that is projected not to be. Yeah. No, <laughs> the, the first generation in American history 
projected to not do as well as their parents. That's, that's just a sad. Exactly. And that's, that's, and I'm in a place where I actually know that I am doing better than my parents did um, because of all those circumstances. And I think back as, you know, as a grown man now and doing all that, and I'm like, wow, they must've really had a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of moments where, you know, they weren't able to fully enjoy life because in the back of their mind, it was, how are we going to deal with this bill? How are we going to do this? How are we going to, you know, handle that? Um, so, and and I, Kevin, I think that's part of the soul you're talking about, right? Like that's that, those are the things that remove you from concentrating on the family, things that would make your soul whole and all that anxiety and stress. That's, you know, I feel like that's an intangible thing we don't talk about in our politics. What people so gotta, go through, what people go through on the daily basis, experiencing those things, and what kind of humans they create from people who don't have the grit your parents had to go through that situation and not be like dysfunctional members of society. You know what I mean? And raise yeah. a, a good human and that can go on and be successful in all of those things. You know what I mean? I feel like that's an unrealistic expectation that we put like, like, oh, well, everyone should be able to do that. It's, you know, your parents were exceptional people. You're an exceptional person because a lot of people who go through those things don't come out that way. You know what I mean? And and that's just, that's just statistics. It's not even just regardless of, you know, where people live or whatever, you know, that's just the truth of how humans shake out in those circumstances. You know, it's funny. You actually made me think of a uh, conversation I had with my cousin once, um, she, you know, we got into a, uh, into a discussion. Cause like, trust me, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, wealthy by any means, but I am <laughs> able to make by my husband. And I are able to make by, we're able to live where we live. We're able to, you know, go, you know, put money towards, you know, this or that if we want to. Uh, so we're fortunate that way. And I remember, um, years ago i had a discussion with one of my relatives who's not in that place but we were she actually lived with me for a while we grew up together some people even thought we were brother and sister and um she said that i thought that i was better than her um because you know she currently does live off government assistance um uses government assistance for her daughters for you know for her kids and um, their father also government assistance. And she, she told me that, you know, like I said, she said, you think you're better than me. Uh, you think you're a better person. And I go, do I think I'm a better person? Than you know, do I think I made better decisions than you? Absolutely. And we though, at the end of the day, I mean, you're right. At, you know, at the end of the day, so, you know, comparing her and I, we both have very different personalities. And you're right that not everyone's going to, but I, I do have, well, actually, I want to, I want to ask you something about, um, corporations first. All right. Last question. Wanna, we got, we got to wrap. We got to wrap. Yeah, I, I just work super early. We are. I just saw we are. <laughs> so, okay. So then actually, I think this is the best because you've been bringing us back, which by the way, I would love to do a stream with you where we do focus more on culture. Cause I for know sure, for you're sure. focused on I, that. I so promise if we pick a topic, I'll stick to it. But if we free flow, okay. baby, this is, I'm going to keep coming back. To I know. It. I know. I know. So <laughs> trust me. I wanted to free, relax. Like I said, my workday, I wanted a relaxed stream, but our next one is going to be structured. Trust me um, for both of our sakes. Um, do you, how would you feel about not so much? Cause like I said, you, and you said you're not about punishing corporations per se. You didn't like that, you know, that framing of it. So how would you feel about an approach that incentivized 
businesses, corporations to give their workers the best, give them what they could, that whether it be, you know, tax breaks or whatever the incentive is, what it, what's your opinion of a structure that actually rewards companies for offering these things, for offering like a, a, an actual living wage, for offering decent healthcare benefits, for offering, and then these companies are actually rewarded for that um, at the end of the day in a way that helps their bottom line. Because that's what matters at the end of the day when you're in business is that bottom line, right? You can be all the heart you want, but if you're in that bottom line, if you're not making the money to stay afloat or you don't feel you are, then then what's the point? How do you feel about a structure or uh, an approach that rewards um, employers for doing that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's sort of, that's a tough question because, you know, the, to me, a lot of the giant corporations in this company, you know, we'll go back to the Obama administration, you know, um, look at his entire cabinet. It was selected by bankers, uh, literally a memo draft. You can go Google it. Anybody listening to this in the future, um, you know, it, it, that to me, that's sort of like, how do I figure out a way to make happy the person who paid the person to put the boot on my neck? Like, how can I? How can I incentivize them to like tell that guy to like not push so hard? You know, that's the way it feels like to me because we have to understand and keep in the correct perspective that it wasn't just the United States government that felt like devising this system that has created the outcomes that we live in today and that have caused so much misery across the last however many decades. Um, no, it was drafted by people who bribed our government to set the rules in a way that they could come out year after year, more and more on top and have a fatter bottom line. Um, we just went through two years where there was negative corporate debt, uh, uh, corporate, uh, um, corporate interest rates, you know? Um, so do I want to come up with some solution that incentivizes them in some way to pay people more so they can live? Uh, I don't know. Again, I think I would just defer back to my answer would be no to that. I, I, I would defer back to the pendulum has swung so far across the last five decades that we don't need to, in my opinion, sweeten the pot for them in any way. And I'll get to it. There is one way that I would sweeten the pot for large corporations. Um, but no, I don't think we need to, because, again, we have the democratic sentiment in this country. Are we a democracy or not? Are we going to pass laws that the people who actually live and vote, not faceless corporations that aren't people, not the rules they want? I mean, it's true. It's it's true. Are we a democracy or not? Are we, you know, if you want to get like, please the libertarians, are we a representative democracy or not? Are we? Because, you know, like I said, go check the polling on these things. These economic issues are, are wide widely popular across both aisles so and what i said before what i was referring to before about sweetening sweetening the pot is you know i know you probably may not agree with this but um a single-payer healthcare system would actually alleviate a lot of financial pressure from from corporations um i've, I've gone into this on several episodes of my podcast it's something that i think is very important when we do analysis on health insurance and how that works in this country 
is um, a big part of the reason why you see a lot of, you know, insane American worker productivity and then the wages not comp being compensa uh, compensating to make up for that productivity is because healthcare insurance costs for both corporations and me and you paying it, uh, our payroll uh, premium uh, insurance premiums continue to rise and get insane. Um, large corporations, it would behoove them to support a universal healthcare system like what Bernie Sanders has espoused because they would no longer be paying into it. They wouldn't have to pay into it. It doesn't have to be written that way. We can just keep paying our normal payroll taxes, just like we do with, say, for example, uh, the New York State, how we just did the uh, Paid Leave Act. That's fully funded by payroll taxes. Corporations don't pay into that. And it's our benefit. Same way Social Security works. Um, you know, I'm very I, I agree with those types of programs um, because we have ownership over them. We pay our taxes that go into that and it benefits us. Um uh, so I, I think that that's something that, again, anyone listening to this should look into. There's been a ton of analysis done on this. Huge corporations like Amazon, Walmart, um, you know, you just go through like the top 100 employers in this country would benefit wildly from a single payer healthcare system. But why don't they support it? And I'll tell you right now, because it's a cudgel, because you get to hold health insurance over people. It's one more reason why you uh, it's one more way that it helps them have worker retention, especially in a tight labor market like we've experienced in the last year and a half. Even though it would save money on their bottom line, Kevin, they're going to keep supporting this system because it helps them keep workers in check. It helps them keep more people staying in their company rather than doing the millennial thing and leaving every two or five years. Um, it, you know, perfect example. I got laid off. I lost my health insurance. I have three small children. That was a problem. What was I offered? Cobra, which is, hey, you can keep your health insurance. And this is how fucked up our government is. I don't know if you've ever read about Cobra or been on Cobra. I didn't even do it. I just went on Medicaid while I was uh, and when I was laid off. I was like, I'm not playing the Cobra game. Um, what they do is they pay your company like a bajillion dollars to keep your fucking health insurance plan alive for like six months to a year. Uh, they pay them more than actually what it fucking costs. That was Nancy Pelosi's little brainchild. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic that she came up with. Oh, let's do COBRA subsidies. Um, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to boost COBRA subsidies. So they actually, uh, large corporations have been incentivized to continue to support this system because every time it breaks down or would break down because of an ep economic duress like the 2008 crash or the coronavirus um, you know, uh, pandemic in the very beginnings of it, they were incentivized immediately by the Fed by getting soaked in free debt and then Pelosi and the Democrats immediately, what was the first thing they fucking did when the pandemic happened? They started talking about uh, relief checks and all that shit. But what was the first thing they did? They passed that Cobra shit super fast. Go look it up. That shit passed like April before the checks were even considered. So I just want to, you know, I want to put that in perspective. Uh, single payer healthcare. That's probably, you know, one of the easiest routes to everyone having, uh, you know, their, 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 their issues uh, uh, ameliorated around, you know, bottom lines for corporations, money that people spend on healthcare, all this other shit. Again, the Trumpian, uh, you know, uh, pr lowering prescription drugs, things like that. Uh, there's there's a bunch of creative ways that you can attack the economic duress in this system where it doesn't necessarily have to be punishing corporations that can actually be helped by this. And I think that a lot of medium sized companies, uh, you know, uh, obviously some of them being more leftist like Ben and Jerry's and, you know, uh, you know, ones that aren't necessarily, you know, employ hundreds of thousands of Americans do realize this. And that's a big part. You know, they selfishly push for that because it's like, yeah, what the fuck? Why would I want to keep, why would I want to keep paying? Um, you know, I think at SI group, 
the average cost of them insuring one of our union members was somewhere around $300 a week or something like that. It was a lot of money. Uh, it was a lot of money, more than what we paid for our premiums. So, you know, and that, that's the problem. It gets boiled into the cost. And then that gets reflected in your wages because they count that premium as what they're actually paying you, even though it doesn't go in your pocket. It's going, you're both paying some just uh, uh, wizard of Oz that gets to decide whether, you know, you're going to pay $20,000 for your ambulance ride for your broken leg or $2,000. That's, that's, that's what we're doing here. So I don't know. That's all I got. That's the last thing I got to say. I got to <laughs> run in. But um, we can, you know, next time we hop on, we'll definitely get into more of these uh, cultural milieu that you want to dive into. And I promise I won't keep doing the whole, uh, 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 excuse me, Eugene Debs. I won't get on the, the soapbox uh, about the economics. No, I, I, I do want to say I want to <laughs> I want to um, thank you for having me on. I mean, for me, um, part of the reason I was more sit back and listening is because I will admit I don't get to have these interactions too often with people who are more left leaning than myself. I seek them out. Absolutely. But I don't. In my experience, it usually ends up in them screaming at me. Um, so, <laughs> but but to be fair, though, um, my experience with the left is usually um, with people who are much more engaged with the culture wars and identity politics than they are where you seem to focus uh, a little bit more on the obviously the economics and uh, you know that uh, perspective. So I really did enjoy uh, this stream, but yeah, I do agree. Next time, we need to have more structure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have more structure there. Um, but no, absolutely. Thank uh, thank you for uh, for having me on, and I would you know love to come back on in the future. All right, sounds great. And I never said it, but folks, this is foreign and domestic unfiltered. I think it's like episode twenty nine or something. I don't even know. I haven't looked at my catalog in a while. It's been a minute. Me and Kevin actually recorded uh, and Patter recorded uh, an episode. I think it was a couple weeks ago, but we had some technical yeah. issues and it really wasn't publishable. So we figured we'd give it another stab. But I am Kevin is always welcome on the show. We will definitely do this again, and we'll get into a little more of these. Uh, it's probably some spicier issues uh, around culture. And I'm sure, you know, last time we talked, we talked about policing and, you know, America and disconnected where we're both from. And we'll, we'll jump into a little more of that stuff. Uh, it, it was good last time. We'll, we'll, we'll try to narrow it down a little more here and get some structure next time. 